catching images of what they believe are ghosts on surveillance cameras. of the infamous Salem witch hangings. Many indigenous, many sex workers. Hello, and welcome to Six Sad World. I'm Jasmine. And I'm Mari. So next week is Bell Let's Talk Day, a day meant to spread awareness of mental illness. However, I personally find that there's still lots of aspects of mental illness that are not even discussed, much less destigmatized. Um, and like, that includes things like um, things that people might call severe mental illness, um, like schizophrenia and bipolar disorder, um, and also things like neurodivergences, like autism, ADHD, and stuff like that. So I have some facts, um, about mental illness to kind of lay the groundwork for the conversations that we're going to have today. Uh, the statistics that I'm using are all Canadian uh, because we are Canadian yeah. and it's the most relevant for us. Um, but keep in mind that these statistics also count towards the American. And I also wanted to use the Canadian ones as well because um, I think a lot of times people think Canada is this like haven of, of health care and, you know, like equality or whatever. And it's mm-hmm. like really not true. And I think these statistics really make that obvious yeah so first off i want to start by saying like by age 40 at least around 50 percent of canadians will have or have had mental illness Mm -hmm. um so that's one in two people by the time they're 40 so the you know middle of your expected life yeah you will experience mental illness in some form, whether it's depression, anxiety, or, you know, the onset of schizophrenia or, you know, anything like that. Yeah. Um, Low-income Canadians are three to four times more likely than the highest income bracket to report poor mental health, which I think is kind of obvious, but, like, still needs to be said. Mm-hmm. Um... People with serious mental health concerns are disproportionate, disproportionately affected by homelessness. Um, the reported ranges are between 23 to 67%. Yeah, that sounds pretty accurate to me. And mental and physical health are linked. Disabled and chronically ill people are more likely to also experience mood disorders. And people with mood disorders are much higher are at much higher risk of developing a long-term medical condition. Mm-hmm. Uh, also important to note that 70% of people who die in police-involved fatalities struggle with mental illness or substance abuse disorders, or both. Yeah. And those who experience racism exhibit poor health outcomes, um, and these are, like, reported studies, Um, including negative mental health outcomes, negative physical health outcomes, and negative health-related behaviors such as substance abuse disorders. Mm. So those are the kind of 
facts to lay the groundwork um, of the discussions that we're going to be talking about today. And the statistics about police-involved fatalities are going to be really important. Yeah. For both of our cases today. Um, so, yeah. That's, that's what I have to say. Well, like, thank you for that because it's important that we have these numbers and statistics uh, to really sort of set in the reality of the situation. Not only here in Canada, but just all over. Because we don't talk about enough. We have to consider the fact that we do have kind of basic universal health care. Basic. And very basic. So these numbers are probably not as bad as they could be if we didn't even have the basic health care that we have, which does provide some psychiatric services um, covered under governmental health care. But, like, that is not something everybody in the world has access to. No. Uh, that's for sure. So, shall I get started then? Yes. Um, All right. I don't know why I sounded so excited. I don't I actually say, want like, to you talk to about what we're talking excited. about. Uh, it's only right. downhill from here, folks. Well, I mean, we talked about it before, but yours might, might have a little bit of a uplifting you know nature to it to to some degree (laughs) i mean like as much of a positive note that we can end on (laughs) yeah i mean it's kind of (laughs) as positive as you can get when talking about what we're talking about today yeah uh so uh, okay so for any new listeners, and uh, to refresh the memories of those who have been with us for a while, um, I am an artist, and I love cartoons. And uh, bear with me, this is relevant, um, but <laughs> cartoons have had a, ma- a major impact impact on my <laughs> life. So much so I went to school for animation the first time around. Um, one cartoon I had a soft spot for when I was a child was Ed, Ed, and Eddie. And regardless of how you may feel about the show and its content, from an animation standpoint, they were doing things that no one else was doing, and it was impressive, both visually and musically. Um, and so I also know, you're like, where are you going with this, Jasmine? Uh, so the title sequence animator and the director of Cartoon Network's longest hit series, Ed, Ed, Eddie, was murdered by the police at age 39, on August 13, 2007. That's my uh, mom's birthday. <laughs> How could they sully my mom's birthday? In Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada. Um, oh, sorry. I didn't realize there was more to hear. Oh, something. no. There's more. I was just waiting for the, uh, the people to be like, oh, congratulations. That's your mom's birthday. But also, how dare <laughs> the police ruin such a sacred day? Um, so... <laughs> His I didn't na- realize that Paul Boyd was uh, the the title. What you said. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so uh, Paul Boyd was an American-born Canadian animator, and the reason I chose to talk about him is because in his early twenties, Paul had been diagnosed with bipolar, bipolar disorder, and uh, more specifically, manic depression, and the general definition of bipolar disorder because it 
gets more complicated than what I'm about to say, but essentially a person can experience major highs and major lows in their moods from being so depressed where you can't even leave bed to where you're, I guess you could say, absurdly happy or in a really good natured. So it's, it's a, it's a, would you call it a mood, a mood disorder more so? Yeah. It's yeah. like a, I think it's technically like a personality Disor- disorder. I don't know if it's yeah. personality or mood, but yeah, like those highs are also called um, mania. It's kind of where that term mania yeah. comes from or manic. Yeah. Um, and like I have, you know, heard and read accounts of like people do like they're they're almost out of control when they're in mania yeah like i don't necessarily mean like unstoppable or whatever like their inhibitions are kind of not there as much Mm -hmm. and so like there's um there was one story i heard where um there was uh, this student who ended up spending her entire scholarship at a strip club because she had just gotten the payment. It's 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 really something that's it's it's uh it's hard to to deal with and hard to control for some people, um, mm-hmm. but in... especially without medication of any kind. Yeah. Uh, so Paul was receiving constant treatment and usually uh it was pretty effective considering you know how much work he was doing uh he was also part had a hand in animating the first ever flash animated tv series i i'm not gonna go into detail too much about flash animation but i hate it (laughs) from from like a like an animating having to animate standpoint but you can do quite a few (laughs) things with flash um he worked on the show was Mucha Lucha, Mucha Lucha, which I used to watch when I was a kid. Um, I think I remember that. Yeah, it was the kids who wanted to become like, um, like a uh, like wrestlers. So they went to like, the like wrestling school. Or something? Yeah, so- something like that. They wanted to be like the best wrestlers. Some anyway. He also taught animation at the Vancouver Film School in the early '90s, and in his honor, a prize funded by his family is given three times a year to the top students. Uh, so that's an ongoing thing to support the arts uh, and also to remember him. So content warning, police violence, uh, just to cover it. Uh, I think it's the main thing that's sort of maybe triggering for people and obviously the killing of a, um, of a, 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 a human being. Uh, so on the evening of August 13, 2007... Uh, is when several calls were made to 911. Paul Boyd was seeking medical treatment at two clinics in Vancouver on Grain- Grainville Street. Uh, as mentioned earlier, Paul was seeking treatment throughout his whole life. He had been diagnosed in his early 20s. That's so almost 20 years living with bipolar disorder um, and was mostly working. Uh, on this day, even though he had taken his medication, the toxic- toxicology report and eyewitnesses said he was acting strangely he was approaching random strangers and addressing them like friends and shouting then would get down on his knees and apologize when they did when they denied knowing him so this was around 9 p.m 
Uh, 30 minutes later, across the street from the second of the two clinics, uh, a witness from an apartment building called 911, saying that it looks like there was a two-on-one assault. What was actually happening was Paul had approached another stranger, a man sitting on a bench, and like the rest, Paul was shouting and mistaking this person for someone he knew. When the person denied knowing him, he kneeled down on his backpack and apologized profusely. And from that sixth floor apartment, it looked like Paul and the stranger were assaulting a man pinned to the ground. The man Uh, being his backpack. So, yeah. Uh, In an unmarked vehicle, two plainclothes officers responded to this call. When they arrived, both the stranger and Paul were completely calm. According to one of the officers, he thought he saw a hammer in Boyd's hand. And without identifying himself as an officer, he drew his weapon and ordered Boyd to drop the hammer. Which he apparently did. So this is a plainclothes officer. A plainclothes officer. Did not say anything, just drew his weapon on this guy. And they've been receiving phone calls all night about some guy causing uh, ruckus down the street, potentially, that he might be like a mentally um, ill person. So they knew the situation they were getting into. And as you can tell... Just from the get-go, they handled it quite poorly. They handled it wrong. Yeah. And so I say Boyd apparently had a hammer because according to the stranger on the bench, Boyd never had a hammer. There was a hammer near the scene, but it was never tested. So when the police, police attempted to arrest Boyd, he struck one in the forehead. And so the initial reports... Um, from the Vancouver police said the, uh, this officer was struck unconscious, but that never happened. He got up immediately, according to witnesses and the officer himself. Wow. He, he suffered a scalp wound from a bike chain with a lock on it, which the officer initially thought was a chainsaw chain with a huge block of metal attached. Even though he handled the chain himself and carelessly tossed it into the front of the police car, an unmarked police car... He couldn't tell the difference between a bike chain and a chainsaw chain. He did not They're, bake. like, significantly different. Yeah, they're really different. Like, first of all, a chainsaw chain has a serrat- serrated edges on it to keep it attached to the the uh, belt of the chainsaw. So they're mm-hmm. completely different. They're completely different weights. They're different sizes. Like, they're not even remotely the same. And whether it's... Like, a bicycle chain is, like, thin. Yeah. Like... You can technically wear them as, like, necklaces. And some people do. And even it being a bicycle chain, being the... Okay, well, this is why I'm going expl- to explain this. He did not bag or handle the chain carefully, so evidence could not be examined and tested properly for DNA. So they don't even know if that was the item that he was hit with. Because some people, some witnesses said it was something as small as, like, a like a bag chain or, like, a purse chain or, like, a, like a, a keychain chain that he was hit with. Oh my goodness. Yeah. So they don't know because this guy just threw this bicycle chain into the front of his car like an idiot. This train officer officer, who was hit? Yeah. The train officer who was hit grabbed the chain and threw it into the front of his car. But because it was so, so mishandled, they couldn't test it for anything. That's so... Oh, my God. Because I'm guessing he didn't put gloves on or anything. No. When he grabbed it. No. 
So it's... Hate him? I hate him. It's like, what are you... Anyway. So, two uniformed officers arrived on the scene, now making a total of four officers on the scene. They wrestled with Boyd, and when Boyd attempted to run, Constable Lee Chipperfield drew his weapon and began shooting. Oh my god. Now, mind you, this was all happening because people described seeing a mentally man, mentally ill man shooting or shouting loudly. Didn't, he didn't have a weapon. He did not appear aggressive. He was just being loud on the street. And this is how it's escalating. It took 80 seconds for Constable Chipperfield to unload nine shots at Boyd and eight of them hit him. The first two, the most serious, and caused major bleeding. The final shot was fired while Boyd was on his knees and crawling. Which, oh my god. Which is seen on tape. I saw up to that point in the video before I had to stop it. Um, oh my god. The final shot is obscured by a passing car. Um, so the police claim, see, they, from, that, from that video, you can't see what the final, final what happened at the, at the final shot. But the police claim that he was getting on his feet and posed a threat when they sh- when Constable Chipperfield unloaded the final shot into him. He claimed the that dude's he, running away. He claimed that he did did not know that Boyd was unarmed, and if he had known, he wouldn't have shot the final bullet. Well, you didn't even wait. You didn't even check. And according to forensic evidence, the. Uh, and the coroner and the fact that the constable was six inches shorter than Boyd, Boyd could not have been in an erect position when the final shot was delivered. The bullet went through his cheek and into his heart. So there is no way that someone that much shorter than Boyd could hit him through the cheek and heart from with him being standing above that person. Oh my god. It doesn't work that way. Yeah, he would have to have been, like, crawling. Yeah. So, Constable Chipperfield gave two conflicting stories. He said he aimed for Boyd's head because he thought Boyd, a muscular man, was wearing body armor. He was wearing a t-shirt. I saw it in the video. He was in a t-shirt and jeans. Um, in the second story, he said he shot one shot at his cheek and then aimed for his chest. But why would he aim for the most protected place if he thought he was wearing body armor? So everyone called bullshit on that. Constable Chipperfield was never prosecuted for the murder of Boyd. It was not seen as a use of excessive force at the time, based on the evidence and the opinion of Bill Lewinsky, a use of force expert who said Chipperfield could have been suffering from inattentional blindness. So essentially what that is, is that you're just, you didn't mean to, you didn't assess, you couldn't, you're just in such a, your adrenaline was so high, you couldn't see what was going on, and, like, that made you unintentionally blind to being able to properly assess the situation, which I think is bullshit in this case. Like, I think if you're at a point where your adrenaline's running that high, you gotta let somebody else on that scene, the three other officers. Yeah. Freaking let them handle it. You need to step back. He was like, this is what your training is for. This is why you're supposed to go through like rigorous testing and academy stuff. Like, 
there were three other officers there who did not draw their weapon. They did not. It was just him. Oh, my God. So, this was They didn't even see him as a threat. No. Even the guy who was hit in the face did not draw his weapon. And you would think the guy who was hit in the head is the one who's going to have the adrenaline. Yeah. So, this was concluded in March of 2012. Uh... In May of 2012, the video of the incident captured by a tourist um, that Boyd had been disarmed and did not pose a threat at the time of the final shot had been released. So even more clear evidence that this this constable, who was with three other people, was not in any sort of danger. In October of 2013, the criminal justice branch announced that Chipperfield would still not be charged. They claim that there is not enough evidence to say that the self-defense was not justified. So him killing Boyd. In memorial of Paul Boyd, who was clearly dearly missed by his friends and family who had nothing but wonderful things to say about Paul, there's an episode of Ed, Ed, and Eddie in the sixth season called Look Before You, Ed, dedicated to Paul. And I'm depressed. I'm really sad now. I'm like gonna cry. I almost did. And I watched the episode. I'm like, it's, the show, people don't know, the show is a very, very silly show. It's it's not one of those shows where you get a lot of touching moments, but, like, knowing that that, that episode was for him, like, I can't enjoy this whatsoever. So, that is my story, and I had completely forgotten about this story until just, just recently... Um, I think what the creator of Spongebob had passed away. He wasn't killed, but he just passed away. And, Mm -hmm. um, I was like, oh yeah, didn't that one Canadian animator die? And then I looked up and like, wait, oh wait, no, he was killed. Why was he killed? Because police don't know how to handle apparently any situation when it comes to someone who may be mentally ill or just appear mentally ill or be a person of color or you know it's it was really really it is really 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 sad what happened to him and many people like him too deserve so much better than being shot multiple times by an untrained a not very well trained police officer it's clearly none of his training did any good (sighs) yeah this I'm has, gonna... like, a ton of overlap with, like, my episode. Mm-hmm. My episode, my case. <laughs> yeah. I get my own episodes now. They're all to me. <laughs> um, <laughs> but, yeah, there's a lot of overlap, um, especially with the dates. Like, you mentioned uh, October 2013. Yeah. Um, was that when they were like, oh, we're not going to charge you? Yeah, like, officially, like, the case is is closed for good. We're not going to charge the officer. Um, So, yeah, like, that was happening right around the time that my case begins. And, like, I'm getting mad. Well, Um, you can't get too mad because you still got to tell us, so. Yeah, so, like, um, actually, Paul Boyd comes up and, like, a lot of the articles um that i was like looking through because it was like 
everyone was still outraged. Yeah. They, it was... About this. Because mm-hmm. this guy didn't even get an indictment. I believe. Yeah. It. I mean, how often do they ever... Does that ever happen, though? Just wait. <laughs> one time. It's one time. Like, it's, it's all of one time. Of course. <laughs> hey! Welcome to Shamblefest! I'm Jess. I'm Amber. And we are your one-stop weekly shop for news shambles. We're a weekly WTF and current events comedy podcast. We drop episodes every Monday morning. Tune in. Shamble on! So, this is the story of Sammy Yatim. Okay. Um, so, this is, like, something that happened in Toronto. Mm-hmm. And it sparked, like, a ton of outrage in the city. There was protests going on over it. Um, there was um, a video that went viral of, the like, what happened. Mm. And, like, I remember hearing about it and like seeing it on tv but i hadn't watched the video until like i researched the case and it's okay. like pretty upsetting uh. anyway so Sammy team was an 18 year old who boarded a westbound streetcar just before midnight on july 26 2013 it was packed that evening and he walked to the back and took a seat Soon after, three young women and their 15-year-old niece. What I find really annoying is a lot of things will be like, these four young women. Yeah. But, like, one of them was, like, a 15-year-old girl. Yeah. Like, sorry, I'm not going to call her a young woman when, like, she was a child. Yeah. Like, you're 15-year-old child. I'm sorry. I'm not sorry. You're a child. (laughs) (laughs) Especially in, in, like, the context that she's brought up. Yeah. Um, So, as these women... And their niece uh, were speaking together on the streetcar. They noticed that Yatim had pulled out his penis and was touching himself with one hand and held a small knife in the other. Mm-hmm. He suddenly lunged at one of the women and lashed out with the knife. So the woman screamed and alerted all the other um, the other passengers that something was wrong. People looked around and. Um, they saw his knife, and people began to panic and try to rush off the streetcar. Um, and it was, like, still moving at this point. And so it was kind of, like, mass panic on the streetcar. Which is um, never good. Until it, like, came to a stop. Both doors opened, and everybody rushed out of the streetcar. Yatim stood up and was holding the knife in front of him, and he began yelling for nobody to get off the streetcar. Um, when the driver was able to come out to a stop and let everyone off, he start he started to then scream, everybody get off the fucking streetcar, um, according to one witness. Okay. So, um, at that point, like, this passenger was like, this guy's in mental distress because he doesn't even know, like, what he wants in this situation. Yeah. And, like, he's described as, like, when he's holding the knife he's not like holding it like you would when you're threatening someone with a knife where you're like pointing it at them Mm -hmm. or like even holding it in a way where you'd actually like slash at them like his arm was completely extended and like like totally straight 
and he held the knife completely straight upwards. Yeah. As if he was, like, showing people the knife. Mm-hmm. And so that's what he's doing on the streetcar. And so it's not like he's kind of in a state of mind where he's, you know, like, th- actually threatening people. But it's clear that there's something not... Like, there's something happening exactly. for him. So, as passengers spilled out of the streetcar, some of them immediately called the police. Uh, within a few minutes uh, since the incident first began, police were on scene. I think it was, like, within, like, a minute or something from when they made the phone call that the sirens were, like, um, they could hear the sirens on the scene. Yeah. And Yatim was still on the streetcar and was standing near the front. Oh, I forgot this part. After all the passengers had safely exited, the bus driver attempted to speak with Yatim um, and tried to de-escalate the situation. So, this is a streetcar driver. Mm -hmm. He waits until all the passengers are safely off the streetcar before he stands up and tries to talk Yatim down. Um, Yatim then kind of, like, jumps forward at him. Okay. And the driver kind of gets scared, and he runs out, too. There's a reason I'm I'm bringing up the way the driver handled the situation, because it's a stark difference from how the trained officer I'm about to say, handles I was like, the situation. This bus driver is doing a good job so far. So... Uh, at this point, E.T.M. was at the front of the streetcar near one of the open doors. Um, Constable James Forcillo, I think that's how you say it, he's Italian. Okay. Was the first officer on the scene. So, what I'm about to describe now, I'm describing from the video, the security camera footage of the streetcar. Okay. Um, because this was, like, the clearest footage that was, like, available. There's also, like, a cell phone video of the confrontation. Mm-hmm. Um, but you can't really see your team. Um, but in the security video footage, um, it shows that Furchilo immediately drew his weapon as soon as he got on scene. Yeah. And began ordering Yatim to drop his weapon. Yatim shouts, no, you're a fucking pussy, over and over again, mm-hmm. while still holding the knife in front of him, like, still in that kind of awkward upwards position. And when you're yeah. looking at it, it doesn't look like someone who want, has the attention of hurting someone. It looks like someone who's kind of like, like, I'm scared, and yeah. I think, like, something's happening. And, like, this knife is going to protect me somehow. I'm not sure how, but, like, if I just show people I have a knife, it's going to get them to back off or whatever. Yeah. That's that's kind of how I read it mm-hmm. when I was, like, looking at him. More cops come up from behind for chill uh, with their guns drawn um, behind him. So you can kind of see in from the streetcar point of view that, like, more cops are arriving, so it's not just Officer, or Constable Fertillo yeah, on the scene. Less than a minute into their interaction, Fertillo shoots Yatim three times, 
and those bullets struck him in the heart, the arm, and his spine, which paralyzed him from the waist down. Mm. Yatim fell to the floor, and five and a half seconds pass as Yatim attempts to move, but can't. Then, so this is after five and a half seconds of of Yatim on the floor bleeding to death. Mm Mm-hmm. Burchill then shot six more times. Oh, my God. Five of them actually hitting Yatim. Uh, And then after that, another officer kind of jumps in front and then used a taser on Yatim's dying body. What the fuck? And in, like, the trial later, um, that officer tries to explain it as like Yatim hadn't dropped the knife yet still. He's on the and ground. And so instead of waiting for him to drop the knife and possibly letting him bleed out to death right there, he shot him with a taser to make him drop the knife and then kick it away. Dude's already on the ground dying. Yeah, Who like cares he literally if he can't drops get the up. knife or not? Like, yeah. And like then he kicks it away from his hand there. But like honestly... At that point, he's probably gripping the knife because he's in pain and shock. And yeah. he's he can't frigging move. Like, he's suddenly unable to use his legs. It's, it's messed up. So the officers are like, yeah, I would have, like, done it again. But it's like, you literally, you didn't. Really? Wait, wait. You could have just kicked the knife away. Then you what were you hoping he to accomplish? He was in a state where, like, if he tried to attack you, you could still take him. Like, you're not, like, there's, you're not accomplishing anything. If he was hoping to gain some sort of credit in this story, but, like, it's, he didn't do anything. He didn't achieve anything. He just made himself look worse, to be honest. Yeah. And it's like, and um, what was interesting was that he kind of used that, like, whole, you never know how many bullets it'll take to stop them. Sometimes you shoot these guys and they, they just keep coming. And it's like, he was on the ground. You saw him. He could not get up. He was struggling. Like, I think you are in power in that situation. That's ridiculous. The taser's unnecessary. Yeah. Like, you, as I say, you brought a gun to a knife fight. But this guy was already in a state of distress. And he had a knife. You're, how many officers? Like, a couple of them. You're supposed to be trained. There's no way that this one person is ever going to be a threat to a bunch of guys who have guns. Yeah. <sighs> okay. Um. So your team was taken by ambulance to St. Michael's Hospital, where he was pronounced dead. Uh, later, it was found that Yatim had MDMA, cocaine, and THC, which is from marijuana, um, in his system. So, it's quite possible that he was having a reaction to the drugs. Yeah. Um, and that, like, this mental distress was coming from the fact that he uh, was, like, intoxicated and under the influence Mm -hmm. of more than one drug and 
he just needed someone to talk him down. Yeah. It is no, by no means at all is it a reason to kill someone. Like, and he was contained on the streetcar. There's, like, this Toronto Life article that keeps, like, it starts off being, like, oh, and then, like, when he's on the streetcar, Officer Ricciio felt like he had to shoot because he could have tried to run off the streetcar or, um, like, lunge at him from the streetcar entrance. And okay. it's, like, sure. it's a six-inch knife. It was, they, it was described as 10 centimeters, so I think that's less than six inches. Yeah. So it's like a small knife. You are supposed to have training to have hand-to-hand combat yeah. with a knifed person and not get yourself hurt. Like, you went through that training. Exactly. Like, the when you... The thing with the police is you signed up for this. You signed up to put yourself... In dangerous situations to protect everyone else. Including people in mental distress. Exactly. So if you cannot handle being in those situations when you chose that that's what you wanted to do. And you can't execute those situations properly without getting someone... Not getting someone killed, without killing someone. Like... And, like, this kid was clearly unable to, like, he wasn't, like, this, like, warrior with a knife where, like, oh, it might be a small knife, but he can, like, throw it from six feet away and it hits its target. He literally lunged at a woman sitting two feet from him and she did not get injured at all. No cuts, nothing. On a crowded streetcar. Yeah. All of those people managed to get away from him unharmed. And now you're like six feet or whatever away from him. Maybe like ten feet. Mm-hmm. And you're fearful of your life while you're holding a goddamn gun. And that's like the wild part. That's why it's like just a big old F you. Uh, you, okay. Sh- Ugh, anyway, go on. Ugh. The cell phone footage was uploaded to YouTube and immediately went viral. Because uh, at this point, people, like, a, a bystander was recording with their cell phone. Yeah. Uh, Toronto police were widely criticized for the way that Fortillo uh, had handled the situation. Good. Um, there were no attempts at de-escalation. And experts agree that Yatim posed no threats to the officers or general public at that time. No threat. There you go. Zero threats. And these are experts that I'm talking about here. They were, they testified at trial. Yeah. So, in kind of like a landmark decision, Bertillo was actually charged with second-degree murder, but also with attempted murder, which, like, confused a lot of people. They were like, how can you both murder someone 
and then attempt to murder them. Yeah. How like, 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 how can you attempt? How can it be attempted murder if they're dead? Like yeah. they, you like succeeded. He's, he's dead. So, this doesn't make any sense. So the second degree murder charge regarded the initial three shots when Vercillo th- first thought he was in danger. And okay. that's in danger in quotation marks. For sure. And the attempted murder charge was for the subsequent six shots after he knew that Yatim was lying on the floor. Because five and a half seconds is a long time. Like, hold on. That's five seconds. That's a, That's a long, long time. time to stand there and assess the situation and then make the decision to fire again. This is after he's already been paralyzed. I don't... I. The complete mishandling of the situations, it's like, how does a bus driver have better like handling de-escalation training than an officer who has to go to school and then go to like cop school or whatever and all those other stuff to be a cop and it's not like it was his first couple months on the job or something yeah like he'd been on the force for a few years this wasn't his first rodeo it's like i he shouldn't even have had a gun on him. Gun on him. Right. Like, at Cops very shouldn't best, have guns. a taser. At very best. Yeah, but that's not the backwards thing about Toronto police is apparently, like, only, like, division supervisors have tasers and everybody else has guns. The fuck? Which is, like, kind of bananas because up until, like, pretty recently in the uk like almost none of the officers have guns they do have tasers but only like a couple of high-ranking officers would actually have guns on them yeah like for a while like like when i went to england like a few years ago like five years ago or whatever like i guess it's more than five years now Mm-hmm. Um, but, like, they were just introducing, like, Kevlar vests. Yeah, I heard about that. Like, at that point, they were all using knife vests because there was, like, there was less reasons for, like, criminals. And I'm using criminals in quotation marks because I have issues with how criminals are defined. Mm-hmm. Um were like there was less reason for them to have guns if the cops didn't have guns. It's like what's like everyone was doing things by knife because they didn't have to worry that a cop will show up out of nowhere and shoot them in the face. There you have it. But anyways. Um Fortillo was found not guilty of second degree murder, but he was found guilty of attempted murder on January 25th, 2016. So that was three years ago today. Yeah. Uh, and he received a six-year sentence, which is one year more than the minimum sentence for attempted murder with a firearm. 
to be honest, I think it should be more, but. Yeah, I definitely think it should be more, but, like, the cops tried to argue that, like, he shouldn't even be charged with attempted murder with a firearm because it's not like, like, he had the firearm on him intentionally to commit harm. It was because it's he's a cop and that's part of it, his training or whatever, but it was like, he didn't have to draw it. No, he really didn't need to. And he, he didn't, didn't need, need to go and shoot the guy another, what was it? eight times or whatever once he was down like yeah like six times like you you were just down he couldn't move and you saw that you stood there and you watched and you looked for five seconds before you made that decision to pull the trigger again and then you let your cop buddy use a taser on him like and it's like literally this all happened from the time that he interacted to the time that he started shooting it was 50 seconds by the time that he had finished shooting, about a minute and a half had elapsed. If he literally waited and tried to de-escalate the situation for two minutes, the kid could have only would have only been tasered, which has led to like there was a recent death yeah. by taser at this point. So like it's still a deadly weapon, but it's not like you have twenty bullets in your body. Yeah. Like, he literally could have just waited. All right. According to mental health advocate Jennifer Chambers, Virchilo had a history of drawing his weapon on the job 12 times in three and a half years. Enough times to be flagged by the Toronto Police Supervisory Warning System. They had a system in place that was like, hmm, this guy draws his gun, like... (laughs) really often like a lot only one of the people he drew his gun on all of those times yeah turned out to be armed with a knife it's okay what's fun that was not what's funny haha but it's like for example you fuck up enough on a like a retail job and you're out you're out of there you're out of there in like your three-month probation period you're out and so the fact that this guy has been that unsafe with a gun that many times on his job, and everyone's like, yeah, he could stay. So after three and a half years, this man still feels so unsafe he has to draw his weapon when he doesn't even see a weapon in, in the people's hands. Like, like, he's just, what, just constantly afraid? That he chose the wrong career path. That's the it's yeah. not for him. Like, it's cool if you have anxiety. Yeah. But if you have anxiety and you're prone to think you're in danger when you're not, like, maybe don't go into a field where you are constantly put in danger or potentially dangerous situations. Yeah. Like, that's like the thing. If you're that worried about being hurt on the job, that job is not for you. Like, know yourself. Yeah. Just look within and think to yourself, is this the job for me? Should I be handling a firearm on a regular basis? If you're maybe (laughs) No. Yeah. That's an option. There is the option to not be a cop. Even, exactly. There is an option 
you don't have to like if he was like oh man mump on this job this job makes you hella nervous you can quit that's an option because he should have quit a long time ago there are a lot of ex-cops there are a lot of people who were a cop and then they went hmm you know what this is not for me yeah i'm gonna go into a different field exactly people do that you know it's actually quite common to change careers now that's how jobs work you know it's not like 50 years ago when you know you were in a job and you were in your job for life and you were considered a failure if you changed jobs no 2013 like the average span of time to be yeah. on a job was only a few years anyways yeah so like this guy all around his life choices terrible absolutely terrible with the worst consequences for someone outside of himself for him six years is light it's incredibly light and he was originally released on bail oh my God. um before the trial Okay. Um, in the one instance where the person was armed, he received a commendation for drawing his weapon. What? The so, fuck? think about that. Like, not only was this guy flagged as uh, <laughs> someone who would potentially be dangerous as a police officer. Yep. And then one time he gets it sort of right, and everyone's like, hooray! And it's like... It's not like puppy training, where if your dog shits on the carpet 20 times, and the one time it poops outside, it's like, great. This is a completely different situation. And, like, it just goes to show how it's the entire system. Like, there were other people who could have put a stop to this. There was other people who went and investigated him and then decided this man would not cause harm. That's on them, too. That's on them. Uh, For not being able to analyze the situation properly. For not being able to analyze him properly. Yeah. Like... He gave off the warning signs. It was enough for your system to be like, hmm, maybe, maybe let's check what's up. But instead you're just like, nah, I'm okay. This guy seems fine. Sure, he draws his gun a lot on unarmed people. Honestly, despite any sort of like complicated feelings I have about cops and the whole system it should be much much stricter extremely stricter to be able to become a cop if you have to spend 20 years in school to become a doctor then become a cop where you can kill somebody you need to spend a lot more time yeah like i feel like maybe you shouldn't even get your gun for the first two years you need to learn how to handle a situation without a firearm yeah it's actually a good idea. But anyway, like, it's just, it's too easy to become a cop. It's way too easy to become a cop. So just anyone, just all kinds of people who really should not be in law enforcement are getting the opportunity to play with people's lives 
And like that's not why cops were put in place. Like the general idea behind it is to protect the people and to well, handle situations. When you actually look at the history, yeah, but I mean, like the idea is to protect a certain kind of people. Yeah, but like and it's the, more like protecting their property, yeah, than the actual people themselves. But I mean, like the general understanding how people generally understand being a police. When you go to police, when you want to become a police, a kid, you're like, I want to protect people and help people. Like that's the general idea. Obviously, it's much more complicated than that, but. It's so messed up. I'm so tired and so stressed and so depressed. So, you know how I mentioned that the police were like, he shouldn't have even got that sentence. They tried to get uh, his sentence appealed. Yeah. But all the appeals up to the Supreme Court. This guy took it to the Supreme Court and was like, I don't think I deserve this. Yeah. I don't think as a cop I should just be able to kill people. Uh, But the Supreme Court was like, denied. (laughs) Like, we're not they having were like, this. We're not even going to look at this case. Get this out of our face. Um, that is the proper response. That's how I like to imagine it went down. I feel like it was probably a lot to do with, um, like, protesters. Yeah. And um, all of the kind of publicity that this case had. I think if it was not, if people didn't care as much as they did and they yeah. didn't, you know, make themselves heard, this guy probably would have got away with that. I mean, other people have gotten out or stuff like that, so I wouldn't be surprised. Uh, Yatim's case is credited as sparking changes in Toronto Police's de-escalation tactics. Sure. Some point to the apprehension of the driver of the van attack as proof, because this guy was using his whole goddamn vehicle as a deadly weapon. Yeah. And they still managed to... Contain him and apprehend him without shooting a single shot. Not one. No. If you remember earlier this year, like, everyone was sharing tweets and stuff like, this is how you should be a cop and blah, blah, blah. And it's like, we're really giving people credit for not killing people. For, like, the bare minimum, what you're, like, not supposed to do. Or what you're supposed to do. Why does nobody applaud me on my daily basis for not murdering people yeah i do that i've been doing I that could for 20 murder people. five years i've been doing it like it's it's something i could do where's my money where's my metal the tools around me <laughs> exactly i have a, a knife block literally everything in your household could be a weapon and i we still don't murder people so but like nobody's applauding me you know why because you don't have to murder anyone you really don't and even when someone and when you're law enforcement and your job is to de-escalate situations and you don't even try? Not even, like, a little bit. You even try a little bit. Like, they always say, training teaches you that you must de-escalate situation first. That's what we're taught. Your gun is your last resort. And yet, we see so many cases where a gun is first resort. Gun is not even, like, a thought. It's, like, it's almost like it's built into their body just to reach for the gun and go for it and not use their head. But it's, like, it's also, like, that situation where, like, when we we look at police brutality towards the black community in general, like, they have done this before where they have apprehended 
violent murderers who happen to be white. Mm-hmm. But then as soon as it's a black kid, sometimes even, like, kid. Like, actual kid. Child. Yes. Who was unarmed and hasn't actually been seen doing anything except for maybe Minding shoplifting their own some candy bars. Why are you in? Like, maybe? There was a kid literally playing with a toy gun, minding their own business, who was killed. You didn't have to... And I believe in that, the, the, like, phone call where that was, like, the case... Yeah. ...was the person said, it might be fake. Yeah, they mentioned, they're like, oh, it might be a fake gun. Like, you knew it was a possibility? Yeah. That gun was not real. So, but somehow you were in such immediate danger that you had to kill a child. And, like, we have examples of, you know, white people shooting up entire theaters and being arrested, alive, heart still beating, completely uninjured. Uninjured. Like, not even fucking broken bones from being tackled and shit just Fine. talked down until they were able to apprehend them peacefully and somebody and these are people who have straight up murdered people yeah and then someone minding their own goddamn business murdered so if this wasn't enough an idea how we feel about the cops and how they handle basically everything, especially pertaining to black bodies and the mentally ill and basically anyone who isn't like a white male. And even though this was considered kind of like a semi-victory for like police brutality cases where the cop actually did get a conviction. Yeah. It was only two years later when Andrew Loku was shot in Toronto. Yeah. By police. Because he was holding a hammer. And he was in a home meant for people with mental illness. It was a home specifically made to support them. Sounds like, what? So they knew coming into that building, they were likely dealing with someone in mental distress. Yeah. But there was no indictment or conviction in Andrew Loku's case either. I think there was an indictment, but there was no conviction. No, there wasn't. I looked it up recently. It's it's like even... It's not... I hate to say it, but like I find it very hard to imagine that anything will change within my lifetime or our lifetime because we're the same age. Like, it's a future that's hard for me to imagine. We're like these like, small victories really become like big things. I really wanted to. Yeah. But I just can't see it happening while the police exist. Mm-hmm. I honestly think police themselves should be disbanded and the resources should be put into uh, medical first responders, social workers who also go into violent neighborhoods. Yeah. By the way, or like quote unquote violent neighborhoods with no body armor. No actual, like, physical training for hand-to-hand combat yeah. and stuff like that. 
Like, it's not part of their job. But still, they manage to come out of those situations alive. And also not killing people. Yeah. It's funny how you can have both. Isn't it amazing? And, like, I just think, like, if we are going to have, like, this cop system where we do have people with guns who, you know, do maybe interact with other people with guns. Like, it's got to be a completely different... Their job description has to be completely different. Yeah. And they shouldn't be the ones who go on to move up to investigate those things. That should be a third party. Yeah. There's a lot of reworking that needs to be done. Or disbanding. Whichever would make things, would make people stop dying. By and the that's hands. all we're asking for. Like, that, we're not actually yeah. asking for that much. No, just stop killing people. Like, that's what we tell murderers. We tell murderers to stop people, we put them away. Cops we put kill them it. away for life. Yeah. There are people serving multiple life sentences. Why do cops get to kill and not receive any consequences six years and you know what's even funnier for murdering a man cops will murder someone in self-defense and then someone else say a woman or whatever will murder or kill someone in self-defense and they'll go away forever Mm -hmm. think of Sintoya brown i think it is yeah Um, like and she only just received clemency and she was already in jail for like 15 years or something 15 years And she was convicted for killing a man in self-defense who was, like, you, like, who bought her for sex as a 16-year-old girl. And they said, we're putting you in jail. And it took them, like, another almost 16 years, half of her life was spent in jail for defending herself as someone with no training with who's who's vulnerable yeah who's literally so who's like literally gonna, in danger if she's got to go away for 15 years they, they can't pick and choose you know and she would have been there for longer if, she, if they if there weren't these protests and yeah they didn't end up giving her clemency. If she has to go away, they definitely have to go away. I mean, she shouldn't have, but we can't let cops get off on self-defense when we put other people away for self-defense. It's not how it should be. I'm mad. I'm mad. Yeah. Uh, So my closing thoughts. Yeah. While it was clear, even to some of the passengers, that Yatim was in mental distress, we will never get to truly know what was happening with Yatim that night. He was silenced before he could ever tell his story. And I think that's a major thing, is that it's not just that this cop, you know, like, was it deserved or undeserved? We'll never really know, because we'll never know Yatim's intentions. Yeah. Yeah, he did some, like, fucked up shit. Like, don't pull your penis out on the streetcar. But that doesn't mean you should be shot. What is that? Nine 
or eight times. Yeah. And then tasered. No. Like. You're right. I don't disagree that maybe your team should have been like something should have happened. You know, he was, but he was also clearly in distress and the situation could have been handled better and he could have put been put into a situation where he could have been rehabilitated. Yeah. Whether it's from drug use or, you know, some undiagnosed mental health issue because a lot of them do have onsets in the late teens, early 20s. Mm-hmm. And so we'll just never know. Yeah. And Forchillo has never shown any remorse for what he's done. He's never apologized. He's always said that he did what he had to do. He didn't do what he had to do. He just shouldn't have been a cop in the first place. Anyway, so now I'm angry. Yep. This was supposed to be the positive note, but I'm just, I'm furious. Yeah. Like... I picked this case instead of Andrew Loku so that we could have that positive end note of at least there was a conviction. Yeah. But it's not enough. No. For, for sure, I was like, that's six years is incredibly light. And it's for attempted murder. They believe that the, like, the jury believed that the first three shots were justified because that was his training. Okay, sure. That says more about the training than anything, if we're saying that's justified. If we're not saying that's one cop doing a bad thing, yeah, and we're saying that's one cop following his training, the training is wrong. For sure. For sure. I'm so angry. I'm just yelling. I'm tired. Like, I'm, like, being this mad... But these situations is exhausting because A, they happen, and because B, I don't see anything changing anytime soon. I just imagine that right now, we don't know about it, something's happening, and sometime in the foreseeable future, many times in the foreseeable future, these things will happen and keep happening, and it's just past exhaustion, current exhaustion future exhaustion from these injustices. That's how I feel. Yeah. You have to stop letting me pick episode topics. See, as though you're the only one who really picks episode topics, and I don't think about... When I say yes to them, I'm like, oh yeah, that'd be fine. And then it doesn't occur to me until we start talking that I'm like, oh no. Maybe I shouldn't have agreed so quickly. <laughs> No, sometimes you sound really reluctant, and I'm like, we don't have to. <laughs> I mean, we can put this off a few weeks. We don't have to do it this time. But you're always like, no, it's fine. We'll do it. Yeah, I'm like, it's fine. And then... And I'm like, are you sure? And you're like, yeah, it's fine. We'll do it. <laughs> and then it's never fine. Then it's not fine. Oh, gosh. I need to have, like, better foresight as to, like, how something will turn out. To be like, mm, maybe not. Maybe not right now. Maybe. But I also just, like, can't imagine a episode topic where we're like, yeah, that'll 
I'll make us feel good at the end. Like, it's true crime, and we focus specifically on murders. Yeah, which is like, it's not that other crime isn't important, but like, people's lives matter so much that we focus a lot on murder. Because like, you only get one life, people matter. there is a non-murder related case, or like kidnapping, or like, you know, those awful things like a non you know like person victim related case yeah please send them our way yeah if you want me to do a heist i'll do a heist just tell me which heist you want me to do i'm not as well versed in the heist but i'll do it it means (laughs) i don't have to talk about dying people all the time (laughs) yeah (sighs) Anything else that you want to say about this episode? Anything else about either t- police brutality or uh, mental illness or something else? We just need to stop painting mentally ill people as violent and dangerous. They are more likely to be victims than they are to be perpetrators. Sometimes, yes, mentally ill people will do bad things, but that does not mean they should be shot on sight. They Mm. deserve just as much to go through the justice system as anybody else. Exactly. So if a white dude can go murder a bunch of people and be apprehended and then go through the court system and you do everything in your power to make sure that guy doesn't commit suicide so he can go through that system, you need to be doing that with mentally ill people too. Especially mentally ill people of color. Exactly. 100%. And we hope that you have gained a new perspective from listening to this episode. Or if you already felt this way about these particular cases, that your feelings are validated and you know that we agree that these are terrible injustices. And that's all I have to say about that. I think one positive thing about this episode is the fact that instead of sounding incredibly sad and depressed, (laughs) I at least had some energetic moments. I mean, they were entirely yelling, but... It's energy. It is energy. It's slightly more interesting than me going, (sighs) every five minutes. Yeah. That's how I'm feeling. I've like I've reached the peak of my energy and now I'm coming off of it and I'm just exhausted. Yeah, yeah all of that anger is like bumming me out. Yeah. Alright. Well, I think I don't have anything else to say. I don't know if you have anything else to say, so I think it might be time for us to sign off. Yeah. I don't think there's any way we can kind of park this up at the end, so I think we should. Alright, folks. As we always say, yeah, don't be a murderer. But even if you are a murderer, you shouldn't be shot on sight by cops. Just Agreed. for that. Yeah. We'll see you next time, or hear you, or none of the above, because we are listening to us. Yeah. <laughs> we'll talk to you guys next time. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. <laughs>